Hello and welcome to Worship Matters, a podcast that deals with the intricacies of planning worship with and for your faith community. I'm Derek Weber, Director of Preaching Ministries at Discipleship Ministries, a general agency of the United Methodist Church located in Music City, Nashville, Tennessee. During this time of transition from virtual to in-person and hybrid worship, the worship team has endeavored to provide conversations that inspire worship teams and leaders to seize this moment and realize the opportunities before the church, finding ways to help those worshiping with us to re-engage and shape the church we are becoming. Today, I'm excited to have with me as my special guest, Dr. Jacob D. Myers. Dr. Myers is the Wade P. Huey Jr. Associate Professor of Homiletics at Columbia Theological Seminary, is the author of Making Love with Scripture, Why the Bible Doesn't Mean How You Think It Means, Curating Church, Strategies for Innovative Worship, and Preaching Must Die, Troubling Homiletical Theory. And his most recent book, Stand Up Preaching, Homiletical Insights from Contemporary Comedians. Jake has launched a website offering preaching coaching at preachingdoctor.com, that's www.preachingdr.com, and a YouTube channel resourcing preachers about all things homiletical. And you can find a link to that in the description of the podcast. Jake is an ordained minister in the Presbyterian Church, USA. So, Jake, welcome. We're glad that you're a part of this podcast. Thank you for being with us. So, tell us about your journey. How are you doing and, and what's going on in your life right now? Uh, well, thanks so much for that kind introduction, Derek, and thanks for the invitation. This is exciting to get to chat about my most recent research project, and so I'm glad that you got the book at the Academy of Homiletics and that you liked it enough to want to talk to me about it further, so that's wonderful. Yeah, so I have been in ministry for a couple decades now, and the big kind of turning point in, in my life was when I realized that 90% of what I learned in seminary didn't really prepare me for the work that I was doing. (laughs) I was doing a a new church development and the little five points area of Atlanta, which is kind of the countercultural bohemian Mm. hipster area of the city. And I kept trying all the things that I had learned in seminary and none of it was working. And so I was thankful to have mentors like Dr. Chuck Campbell, who taught at Columbia Theological Seminary, and Dr. Anna Carter Florence, who's now my colleague at at CTS, Mm -hmm. who would just meet with me and talk about all the stuff that I was doing that wasn't working and why it wasn't working. And and that kind of helped to spur me to, to realize that the kinds of questions that I was asking of a ministry weren't questions that even came up for me in my seminary time. So that's why I decided to pursue homiletics as my area of, of focus. And a big part of my work is to try to help resource preachers and church leaders to connect with folks particularly those who are outside the church or are disaffected from church. And so that's why in my writing, I tend to use a lot of like pop culture references and you know try to engage things beyond the traditional kind of theology, biblical studies, ethics kind of kind of approach. Yeah, it's fascinating. Just just for clarification, are you still serving that church or is someone else taking that over now? Oh no no no! I'm I I stay busy as a professor here at CTS, <laughs> so so I'm not in a, okay. in a pulpit, you know, uh, okay. unless I'm invited to. And and how's that church doing? Are you keeping an eye on it? Well, no, it it never really oh, okay. materialized. Okay. So what happened? I started the 
and I, and I knew that it wasn't going to be a traditional church because of right. the community that I was in. So we did a lot of theology on tap conversations and okay. I had a weekly poker game that I, that I played uh, <laughs> poker and I kind of became the resident chaplain for all the, the folks who were down a little five points. But as I was doing that ministry and hosting alternative worship events, one of the pastors in a rather wealthy church in, in Atlanta saw what I was doing, asked me if I would join the staff. So I, I, for five years, I served at Waiuka Road Baptist Church okay. as the associate pastor for missional community and alternative worship. And a, a big part of my work there was to help launch an alternative worship experience that we called ReChurch. Mm -hmm. And I wrote about that in my Curating Church book. Okay. So if you're interested in that, definitely check that book out because I talk about all the things we did wrong and some of the things that we did right. And <laughs> it, it was it was a fun process. Well, it's, it sounds like a very broad experience, and it's interesting that you settled on homiletics as as the the key element out of all that for your own focus. Well, full disclosure, I was I was fascinated by your book, Preaching Must Die, and and sometime <laughs> we'll have to come back and talk about that. First of all, the title captured me. I, I love your title. You're very good <laughs> at the writing titles. Thank you. That's one thing I take pride in. Is uh, <laughs> well, I can imagine my titles. <laughs> Some great stuff. But I invited you here today to talk about the latest one, stand-up preaching. And there's so much in that book that I hardly know where to start, so I thought I'll let you start. Tell us about the book, what caused you to write it, and, and what surprises or, or fascinating things did you find along the way? Oh, yeah. Well, thanks. This book has been many years in the making. I, I found myself in the run-up to the 2016 presidential election, finding myself more and more engaging Stand-up comedians is is kind of a way to like let some of the pressure out <laughs> that was building in, in me personally, but also in our in our environment. And I was sharing it with my colleagues that, you know, wow, there's a lot of similarities between what stand-up comedians do and what preachers do. Mm -hmm. And I have a great, you know, community of 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 colleagues here at CTS and they encouraged me to to run with it. And originally I was going to co-write it with one of my colleagues. But he needed to back out at the last minute, so I ended up just writing the book by myself, which ended up being a blessing because it, the book that and that you've read, Derek, is mm -hmm. a very different book than the one that we actually pitched <laughs> to Cascade Books. Interesting. The idea behind it was we were going to offer like really kind of practical, you know, eight steps for this, ten steps for mm -hmm. that, mm -hmm. you know, guide for preachers to begin to implement, you know, comedy in their in their preaching. But the more that I started to research it and learn about humor studies, which is a huge field that encompasses performance studies and linguistics and like all these different areas, I realized that uh, what I could probably bring to bear for preachers that would be more helpful than kind of a, a practical how-to book would be to help them think theologically and homiletically about what stand-up comedians are doing and how we might begin to transpose that from a, you know, stand-up comedy key into one that works in our our pulpits. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of the the big driving force. Was I personally <laughs> was bummed out <laughs> by all the vitriol and yeah. animosity that was building, and and found comedy as a way to you know relieve some of that anxiety. But then also uh, I began to see how stand-up comedians were able to do this really, really magical thing where they were able to make us laugh, but at the same time, they were they were pushing us to think about things in new ways. And I think that's one of the powers of, of comedy is it, it doesn't take, uh, it starts from our lived experience, but it doesn't take the 
the world that we know as necessary. It sees it as contingent mm -hmm. and realizing that if we can shift our perspective on how the world works, it might open us up to new possibilities that wouldn't be possible if we were just kind of continuing along with the status quo. And that's what's fascinating to me about the book. As a read, as you say, you might expect one thing because I've heard lots of folks use stand-up comedians as models for preaching. You know, sure. certainly the interactive, extemporaneous kind of flow that they have. But you go far deeper than that, and you you explore what's really happening. You get theological with the stand-up comedians. I, I'm just curious. Along this way, have you? interacted with any of these comedians and told them what you're doing? Has anybody responded to all of that? Or is this all observational from your point of view? It's largely observational. The one person who I engaged with is the Reverend Susan Sparks, who is a pastor in New York City. Mm -hmm. And she's also a stand-up comedian. And so I interviewed her and, you know, I first developed this as a course that I taught here okay. at CTS. And you know, after, after tweaking some things and refining some things that made it in, into the book form. But, and I highly recommend if you're interested in a practical approach to how preachers might employ stand-up comedy in their sermons, then definitely check out uh, Reverend Sparks's book, Preaching Punchlines, The Ten Commandments of Comedy. Okay. It's a really fun book. It's really smart. And I, you know, I, I don't have any personal experience in stand-up comedy. So it's largely just me thinking, you know, with theologians, you know, humor study scholars mm -hmm. about about what's going on on stage when comedians are doing their thing. Well, I think that's what makes it so powerful, that you're not coming as a comedian talking about comedians. You're coming as a preacher, as a homiletician, saying yeah. what's really going on in there. Well, one of the things early on that you, that you talk about in your book, which caused me to have to stop and think a little bit, and that is the difference between comedy and humor. Yeah. I... I I actually came down on the opposite side of that at first, but you, you convinced me. But help me understand the differences, the distinction that you're drawing between the two and which one fits preaching better than the other. Yeah, yeah. Thanks for that question. It, 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 was, a, it was a difficult process because as I was reading in humor studies and I was looking at what, what experts were saying about why comedy works, how it works, mm -hmm. is that there was a lot of slippage between, you know, the comical, the comic, comedy, and humor, mm -hmm. and the humorous, like the, these all got kind of got thrown into this goulash of, of theory. And, and I, as I was trying to think about resourcing preachers with this stand-up preaching book, I, I said, we need to have a way to differentiate what someone like Jim Gaffigan or Jerry Seinfeld is doing from people like Dave Chappelle or Wanda Sykes. Mm -hmm. You know, the, the hallmark of comedy is you have to make people laugh. Like, that's that's the the golden rule. <laughs> if you're not making people laugh, then you're failing as a comedian. Mm -hmm. But I began to see how a lot of contemporary stand-up comedians were making us laugh, but they were also pushing us to think about the world in new ways. They were challenging structures of injustice that either they personally had experienced or that were operative in the world that we live in. So that's why I made this distinction between the humorous and the comical the humorous being the thing that is designed to make us laugh. You know, the, the word humor comes mm -hmm. from the word humus, uh, which is connected with like the earth. And it, it, it tends to tie in with our like bodily existence, particularly our, our, our lower half of our bodies. You know, mm -hmm. so much of comedy is about sex and, you know, defecation and things <laughs> like that. Right? Yeah. 
and and that and that's that's designed to make us laugh. Like mm -hmm. that's the 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 end goal. But then there's another form of what I'm calling the comical, which is where we're, while we're laughing, and people do this differently, and I spotlight different stand-up comedians. Some people throw us off balance with like a joke, a joke, and then a, a gotcha, like aha kind of mm -hmm. experience. Mm -hmm. John Oliver is, is a big mm -hmm. proponent of this. Like he's silly, 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 and then all of a sudden he's deadly serious, and it throws us off balance enough to where we can allow some truth to kind of come in and and take hold of us in, in a new way. Mm -hmm. So that's really why I tried to to differentiate those things. And as far as it goes for preaching, I think both have a place in the pulpit. And and, and you know, I have a whole chapter just helping people to understand the history of animosity between the church and you know, comedy, yep. and, I, and I, I cut out so many words that I, I could have included with <laughs> theologians and church historians and sure. people, just really anti-humor. Mm -hmm. and, and, for, and for good reasons, there, there are some reasons for that, but I think humor is easier to attempt in the pulpit because it's less threatening. Now, there are some folks who feel like the pulpit is a serious space mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and there shouldn't be any humor, no laughing, no, no joy. But I disagree with that because, you know, I'm I'm pretty Bartian in my theology, and so if we really believe that God's incarnation in Jesus Christ has fundamentally altered the state of things in the world, and that ultimately God has won, then Christians should be the most joyous, humorous, laughing kind of people imaginable. But that that doesn't happen a lot in our churches, <laughs> and you know there are so many preachers who are trying to be prophetic mm -hmm. and and prophetic preaching which is another interest of mine tends to be direct discourse it's it tends to be louder it tends to be intense it tends to speak truth to power but i started to see that there were these comedians who were using comedy mm -hmm. to to do this prophetic kind of push and and those are the folks that i spotlight in the book mm -hmm. because i think those are the ones who can teach us to do something that none of us are taught to do in seminary <laughs> or right. divinity school. Yeah, later on, after the initial conversation about the distinction between comedy and humor, then you introduce the term charged comedy. And that, to me, is the offering that you're making to preachers, is to think about comedy in such a way that, that there's this electricity, there's this power, yeah. there's, and maybe that's where the prophetic enters in, you know, as a... How how do yeah. you define charged comedy? Yeah, well, that, that term comes from Dr. Rebecca Crafting, who's an American studies scholar. Mm -hmm. And she wrote this, a couple of really important books and essays that I use quite a bit in my book. And she uses charged humor to differentiate, like there's humor and then there's charged humor. Mm -hmm. So she lists up people like Harry Kondabolu, Kamau Bell, like people who are using humor to, to challenge the status quo. Mm -hmm. And in Chuck Campbell, my one of my mentors in some of his writings has used the term risky humor mm -hmm. to differentiate it from humor. But I felt like rather than modifying humor, like let's just think about it in terms of like the comical is doing this thing over here and the humorous is doing that thing over there. Now there's a Venn diagram where they overlap with one another. Sure. But but that's really the reason that I I saw that being a helpful distinction mm -hmm. for us. Mm -hmm which moves comedy uh, beyond the, we're just making people like us so that we can then preach the real sermon. You know, comedy is the introduction <laughs> sure. or, or the setting the stage. Yeah, a little like appetizer or something. To yeah, the <laughs> appetizer for that. So now it is actually the content. It is, it is the working yeah. out. 
and and it's approaching it from in some ways an absurdist view let's look at the world and and that's what observational comedy is about looking at things mm-hmm. and saying well what does this really mean what what's going on here all that kind of stuff yeah. but but i was also fascinated by your selection of the comedians that you focused on many of them were african american and and talking about issues of race and we here in the church are wrestling with our historic racism systemic racism in the culture sure. and and beyond and and many preachers are saying, I just can't talk about that. I can't bring it into the pulpit. It's too sensitive, too political, too whatever. So mm-hmm. so I guess part of the question is, whether it's race or, or a host of other issues, how can these comedians help us deal with issues that are, that are almost too sensitive to talk about from the mm-hmm. pulpit? Is this a way you see of, of moving forward to, to lifting up some of these things from the pulpit? Yeah, boy, Derek, that's a great question. And it really gets to the heart of what I was hoping to do in the book. Because if you sit and watch a Dave Chappelle or Chris Rock or Wanda Sykes comedy special, you have to work really hard to imagine any of that making its way into your Sunday morning <laughs> right, sermon. Sure. <laughs> if you if you value your job. Exactly right. And and so in fact, the introduction of the book, I have like a bunch of like serious questions that I want to ask the reader about what you're really getting yourself into if you if you attempt to use humor or the comical from the pulpit mm-hmm. you know a big part of contemporary comedy is self-revelatory so you're sharing things about mm-hmm. your intimate experiences and so i want preachers to think about whether they actually want their congregations to know that much about them the things that make us laugh are often embarrassing things mm-hmm. <laughs> And, and you know some some of that stuff is naturally going to make its way into sermons. It, it's a it's a great way to engage people, right? Because we've all done stupid things, and so to name, <laughs> right. uh, be willing to name our stupid thing, then you know it it, it causes us to laugh, and it, it's funny, and 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 we've all had that experience too, where you're on an elevator with a bunch of strangers, and then someone cracks a joke, and then everybody's laughing. Mm-hmm. That, that's the power of humor to draw us together. So we're not a bunch of individuals anymore, but we're we're a group that's laughing together. Mm-hmm. And especially as our churches become more diverse, humor can be a way to draw everybody together. And you know, if you can get everyone laughing, then you know, we're, you know, then we won't, you know, fight about things as much, hopefully. Hopefully, yeah. <laughs> but, you know, you can't you can't learn from these more progressive comics and in terms of appropriating their content <laughs> for okay. sermons, because it's often in a, a a big part of the comedy stage is that it kind of brackets our normal rules of what's considered appropriate conversation, mm-hmm. and in the pulpit, you know, has its own you know set of decorum that is are expected you know from us. So challenging white supremacy is a big part of what I've tried to do in a lot of my work and in a lot of my preaching. And so I wanted to think carefully and critically with these stand-up comedians about how they're using humor to challenge, you know, racism, mm-hmm. to challenge heterosexism and, and and all these isms that that continue to affect the society at large and also the church. And then so for preachers, I think a, a good thing to think about is to think about what is your congregation like? Are you serving a church that's kind of a, what my friend Leah Shade calls a purple parish? Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. It's like you have some Democrats and Republicans, you have red state, blue state people in the same community. If that's the case, then I think a really helpful guide would be someone like Dick Gregory, 
who was one of the first, he was the first African-American to, to cross over into all white nightclubs because before that they were totally segregated. Mm -hmm. And the way that he used humor is there would be an innocuous joke followed by an innocuous joke. And then all of a sudden there would be a joke that was just a little charged. You know, he has this one joke about baseball. He's talking about Jackie Robinson. And he said, yeah, the thing about baseball, it's the only time in America where a black man can shake a stick at a white man and not get killed for it. <laughs> right. Yeah. right. So, and, and, and on the one hand, it's like, yeah, that's funny. But on the other hand, it's like, Ooh, but that's also not funny. Yeah. You know, that, 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 that is true enough for us to, to possibly laugh at it. Um, what we're laughing at is the incongruity, right. Between, you know, a baseball game and a, a protest, mm -hmm. you know, but, Dick Gregory, you know, as an activist during the civil rights movement, you know, he was on the front lines, you know, challenging, you know, structures of injustice. And then on the comedy stage, he was finding ways to, to say what he wanted to say about his lived experiences as an African-American in America, but uh, in, in a way that it didn't totally alienate his audience. Mm -hmm. So, and that kind of flowed from who he was as a person. If you're in a church that's more socially progressive, you know, then like the, the hard thing about liberal folks, and I'll, I'll put myself in this category, is sometimes we can become so sure that we have, a, you know, a handle on the way to be in the world, mm -hmm. <laughs> but we can, we can easily become fundamentalists at the same way. You can be a fundamentalist on the right or the left. Mm -hmm. So that's why, you know, someone like Dave Chappelle, who has throughout his comedy career, challenged white supremacy that has been his number one target constantly and in in realizing the ways that you know for hundreds of years african-americans have been fighting for greater equality you know greater respect and to be a bigger part of the american you know financial ecosystem and social ecosystem he's realizing the ways that the lgbtq community has sort of like leapt past African-Americans in terms of privileges, rights, those kinds of things. Now, this is his perspective on it. Mm -hmm. And not everybody holds that perspective, but he tries to use comedy to challenge white supremacy, but he's also targeting LGBTQ community and they are they are also vulnerable in in the, the social system. So so he and in fact I have a another book I'm writing right now with a colleague from the UK. Her name is Dr. Nicole Graham. She teaches at King's College in London, and we're writing a book on theology and stand-up comedy, which goes even deeper than I was able to go in the stand-up preaching book about the theological, philosophical, and ethical kind of grounding behind uh, stand-up comedy. But, you know, I, I think just looking at what folks do and maybe ignoring the content, but paying attention to the structure, the way they use story, the mm -hmm. way they use their own personal experiences. I think preachers can use this to speak into whatever kind of congregational context we find ourselves in. One of the things that I have done some in, in workshops and in teaching about preaching is I, I go back to the concept of authority. Where does our authority yeah. to preach come from? And with David Buttrick and, and other you know, classic writers you know, talking about the shift from power to vulnerability, and so what I hear you describing is, is making that shift, and it's the vulnerability, and it's not so much the content, but it is, what am I willing to share? What am I willing to focus on as a preacher? What am I 
what am I willing to acknowledge my ignorance or or my my lack of knowledge or or whatever that that becomes a part of this exercise because yeah. a part of laughter is that is being laughed at as well as being laughed <laughs> with and so that there's sure. that whole dynamic that's going on in in there so all that brings me back to to ask again and I know you've hinted at this already but 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 what is your hope for the readers of this book, for preachers in the pulpit today, preaching week after week after week, they they get a hold of stand up preaching and and work their way through. What what do you see happening in them and from them because of what you have done? What is your vision of of a preacher who takes this seriously? Yeah, thanks for that question. I it's important to note that stand up preaching is first and foremost a work of homiletics. Mm-hmm. So I'm. I'm, it would, you know, homiletics tends to be more focused on the theories and theologies that undergird practices of preaching. Mm-hmm. So if you're if you're looking to pick it up on a Saturday night to to find some fun jokes for your sermon <laughs> on Sunday morning, then this definitely isn't the book for you. Mm-hmm. But I'm just trying to help preachers think more critically about these points of overlap between what we do as preachers all the time, mm-hmm. like the use of language, the use of story. The use of our lived experiences and our and our the the movement of our bodies on a stage in front of people, like those, there's some obvious overlaps there, and the kinds of things that the stand-up comedians are doing are things that I'm not hearing about preachers doing. So, hopefully, my hope is that preachers who read this will have a more expansive vision of how we might employ story in the pulpit about why stories work. And when they don't work, why they don't work. Things about you know body language and gesture. You talked about authority earlier. I have a, a section on that where I draw heavily on the work of Dr. Ted Smith, who's kind of the one who's mapped for us the rise of authenticity as kind of the the golden uh, you know ideal for for the preacher is to be totally real, totally authentic. And the funny thing about Charles Finney, who Ted Smith's writing about is it's like you can perform authenticity like it it is <laughs> it, it is something that you can fake if you want to and <laughs> yeah. and it's funny because so many stand-up comedians who it looks like they're just totally extemporaneous it's like it, the idea just came to them they've actually worked really really hard yeah. to make it look like yeah. that's the case because you know I, I mean it helps that they they get to do the same thing over and over and over again and right. when it fails they just get on the bus and drive to the next town but for a preacher, if you want to try one of these jokes and, you know, you have to remember that like the next week, you know, these are the people who are going to call you to, you know, visit them in the hospital when they're sick or bury their their mom when right. she dies, you know, like, so the, there's a role that the comedian has, which is just the role of a speaker. Mm-hmm. And the preacher's role is more expansive than that. We mm-hmm. are speaking every week, but we also have to provide care and if we tell a joke that maybe everybody laughs at, but then maybe on the ride home, they're like, wow, it's weird that that thought even came into my preacher's mind. <laughs> and and then they start to worry about, you know, like who we are when <laughs> when nobody's looking. But the, that's the big thing is I really want to help preachers to wrestle with the theological, ethical, and, and homiletical implications of attempting humor or comedy from the pulpit. And just to think about, you know, how we might 
even reimagine these categories we use in homiletics, drawing from the work of stand-up comedians. Mm -hmm. if, if you look at our society, there aren't many things that are equivalent to the preaching moment. You know, no. And, and stand-up comedy is one of those that comes close. But you're right, there are distinctions and differences that we have to we have to pay attention to. And yet, I think one of the things that we can learn is to talk about the experience, what's happening in the moment. And, mm, and yeah. I think that's so important. Like you said, comedians say, if they don't laugh, if they're not there, if they're not with me, then then it was a bomb. I didn't, you know, I didn't do well. Mm -hmm. Whereas preachers say, well, they'll, I planted a seed and they'll <laughs> take it later, <laughs> which may be escaping yeah. that it's not working. I'm not connecting. We're not in this yeah. moment. And so that's, yeah. that's what I gained. Part of what I gained from reading your book is this idea that said, let's pay attention to what's happening as we are engaged in this preaching moment. It's a conversation. It's a dialogue. It's a, it's a connection, even though the preacher is doing most of the talking, people are responding in a, and participating in all of that too. Yeah. And the, the advantage that we have as preachers is that like, like, I don't know about you, Derek, I've never been heckled in the <laughs> yeah, pulpit. Right. Yeah. And, and, you know, folks are pretty gracious in the mm -hmm. church. Like, even if we preach a not awesome sermon, they'll stick, they'll stick it out to the end. Yeah. Like they don't get up and leave. <laughs> they don't boo us or anything. So that's where we do have an advantage over stand-up comedians is that we're not having to achieve laughter every, you know, five to eight seconds in our in our sermons. Thanks be to God. Yes, right. But, you know, ultimately we're aiming at this thing called metanoia. Like we really want our sermons to engage the biblical witness, engage our lived experiences as a community of faith, to help people see the world with new eyes and and to see how God is at work in the world despite, you know. It's God's seeming absence so often, you know. It's a way that I think that we can, you know, grow as as preachers to tr to try to to do it this way. And but I will say I, I I do agree with David Buttrick's comment in his homiletics book. He said that if you're a funny person, then feel free to to use some humor in the pulpit. But if you're not funny, don't try. Don't try. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so we have to think about our whole personas as preachers. Are you the person who's a cut up just in general? Are you funny? You're laughing all the time. Mm -hmm. You know, is that a, a big part of who you are? If so, then I think stand up preaching can help you to to bring some of that more into the pulpit. So you don't have to bracket that part of your personality because of this expectation to be serious all the time. Right. You know, you, you watch a you watch like uh, Hannah Gadsby's uh, comedy special Nanette. And it's very serious, mm -hmm. you know, or Daniel Sloss's uh, comedy special X, you know, it's talking about like sexual violence. Like that. So there are these things that the comedians are, are tackling that oftentimes we even struggle to talk about in the church. Right. So it might be another way of getting at that. Mm -hmm. And if you're not funny, you can still learn about the dynamic and the connection and the vulnerability right. and all of that. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And you know, like, the use of story, yeah. which is a big part of of contemporary homiletics and preaching, mm -hmm. you know, the way that that standard comedians tell stories is we can learn a lot from yeah. them about about how to do that. And you know, a good story, you know, people are on the edge of their seats. They're they're wanting to know like, well, what happens? What happens? You know, we move from you know what Gene Lowry said all those years ago. We move from itch to scratch. Right. You know that that's a a key kind of movement, but 
comedians are doing it in a little different way. So I wanted to bring that into the conversation. Yeah. And, and you did it powerfully. I, I cannot more highly recommend this book. Uh, it, uh, oh, thank I just, you. I think it, it's a good exercise for preachers, particularly preachers who have been doing it for a while and, and want to rethink, you know, am I on track? And it may be affirming or it may be challenging, depending on how you approach it. Let's yeah, as, totally. as we're finishing up here, can I take a moment and ask you about uh, PreachingDoctor.com? What, what kind of experiences is that going to provide? What do I get if I go look at that site? Yeah, well, thanks so much. Yeah, I, I started this just this year. And I was getting uh, a lot of our alums were emailing me or calling me and saying, hey, do you know anybody who can help me with my preaching? Like, do you have any sermon coaching, like that kind of thing? And I was like, no, I don't know anybody who does that. And then I, as I just kind of kept talking to folks, I realized, well, I actually ha have a PhD in homiletics. <laughs> I, could, right. I could help with that. And so it was just a process of discerning, you know, how to use my gifts in the best way. And, you know, I've written, I've written a lot, you know, the, the, the academy is kind of, you know, conducive to the life of the mind. So I, mm -hmm. I've gotten a lot of ideas out there, but as I've interviewed preachers to think about what preachers actually need, they're good. They have, they, they have all the books mm -hmm. that, that they, mm -hmm. <laughs> that they need. So, so I thought, well, maybe I could think about using alternative mediums to try to take these ideas or these complex homiletical tasks and break them down into a more simple or usable form. So a big part of my work in The Preaching Doctor is gonna be creating videos, just kind of to resource preachers mm -hmm. and church leaders. I've taken on this practice in Lent, which is a bigger practice than I thought when I started it, but each day during Lent, I've been highlighting the work of one of my colleagues in homiletics, mm -hmm. You know, recommending books that are really helpful, ways that they've impacted me. So hopefully, you know, folks can broaden, you know, the scope of the folks that they know, because as I talk to my students, like they, they know me and Anna Carter Florence really well because they had us sure. in, in class, but, and then they might know some of the other like big name, you know, preachers or homileticians, but there's a lot of folks who are doing amazing work mm -hmm. that only people like you and I, Derek, know because of our work with the Academy of sure. Homiletics and, and our engagement. So, so yes, yeah, so I'm hoping that I can, you know, continue to resource preachers beyond their time in seminary, but can kind of, you know, walk alongside them, offer preaching consultations if they're struggling. You know, fo folks will tell you in the church if they're if your preaching isn't up up to <laughs> up to snuff. So, and and that's one of the things that that we try to do. You know, mm -hmm. as homileticians, is try to help people to, you know, you know, present more faithful and creative and transformative sermons. So that's. That's why I started the preaching doctor, and and it's it's been fun so far. Good. You know, just chatting with folks about what their needs are and what their mm -hmm. possibilities are. Uh, if if you're a, a preacher listening to this and you're interested, then please visit the site and you throw your name on the the newsletter, and that way you'll get to know mm -hmm. when I'm I'm putting out new content. And so a lot of it's going to be just open access. You know, okay. me talking about the things that I think preachers can can learn from, and and you know other. Other things would be more one-on-one -on -one or small group uh, coaching and consultation stuff. Mm -hmm. Underneath it all is this idea of collaboration. Let's let's do this Definitely. together. We tend to see preaching as a as a lonely occupation. I you know I've got to do it myself. And mm -hmm. and you're suggesting, and many others these days are suggesting. No, let's let's 
think about it together. Let's sit and let's talk. Let's let's grow together. We at Discipleship Ministries are engaged in the compelling preaching initiative from Lily and and hopefully doing some of the same sorts of things and getting people together to talk about preaching. That's awesome. Dr. Jacob Myers, thank you so much for your book, Stand Up Preaching, and the teaching that you do and the help that you offer. But thank you for taking time to come and talk to us today. I, I appreciate that very much. Oh, yeah, Derek. Thanks so much for the invitation. Well, and and I'm going to invite you back at some point to talk about Preaching Must Die. I mean, I, I think that's, that's a provocative <laughs> title that we need to follow up on. <laughs> sure, I'd love to. And those who are listening, thank you for joining us today. We hope that this has been helpful to you. And you can find Dr. Meyer's resources on the description. But you can also find more information at our website, umcdiscipleship.org. So until next time, we'll be praying for and with you and your congregation. So may God continue to bless your worship ministry as you make disciples of Jesus Christ for the transformation of the world. This podcast has been a production of Discipleship Ministries, an agency of the United Methodist Church. Visit all our podcasts at podcasts.umcdiscipleship.org.